you know, I think this is the first time, maybe any time I've ever preached up here, that I've actually brought a Bible. It's like, I know, go figure. Um, so I brought my Bible. This is the Bible that I've been reading for, I don't know, at least 15 years. It's just like my daily, my daily deal right here. Um, although when I got it, I could, I could read it without assistance. And now I can't. Really? Huh? Yeah, my glasses are at home because that's where they belong. Um, but anyway, so I thought, you know, since I am actually going to probably reference the Word of God today, I thought I should at least prove that I own a Bible. And uh, we'll leave it right there, um, which is almost a metaphor for some of the stuff in my sermon, um, that we just leave it right there. Um, yeah, Mark, desert, wilderness, been there. Um, I appreciate many of you who've known that, you know, in the last six weeks, my wife and I have buried two parents. And, uh, and so we kind of get wilderness. <laughs> yeah, so we know, we, know what that's, we know what that feels like. Um, but, you know, what's remarkable is that in all of that, this didn't change. It continued to be there waiting for me every morning, uh, and the Spirit of God continued to be there to speak Amen. through it Amen. every morning. And, uh, and so I think it's just kind of a, it's a good thing. And I appreciate many of you that have prayed us through some of the, the legalities of dying. You know, you pretty much need a degree in law to die. Um, you know, anymore because it's, it's crazy. Um, that's all I'm going to say. Keep praying because we're not done yet. Um, well, my wife and I literally lived in a desert for a couple of years. Uh, that was pretty cool. Um, we lived in Las Vegas. But let me read a scripture to you to get this started off. Isaiah 43 says, Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up, springs forth. Do you not perceive it? Which is a really great question. I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The wild beasts will honor me. The jackals and the ostriches that you see on the news every night. For I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people, Amen. the people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. Amen. So when Audrey, I mean, Audrey, Audrey wasn't born yet, but when Crystal and I uh, lived in Las Vegas, um, of course you can't live in Las Vegas without doing the dam tour, right? Be good old Hoover Dam. It's an amazing place. Um, and... And I will say that in my younger days, because this was in the 90s, um, I was a little bit more careless than I am today. And uh, it's true. Um, I know it's hard to imagine me being more careless than I am right now. But um, yeah, back in the day, you know, that was before they built that bridge. You know, here, we lived there before they built the bridge. And you could walk along the, the side of that 
that dam there and looked down over. And of course, you know, our oldest was only about three. And so, of course, where would you put a three-year-old when you're walking across the top of a dam? On your shoulders, right? So you've got the three-year-old on your shoulders walking next to the 750-foot drop-off. And I thought, well, this is really cool. And I'm holding her. And I went to the edge and I looked over. Yes, I know, moms, I know. That was Crystal's response, too. She was like, Harley. And I'm like, this is amazing. Oh, Wendy had no idea. You know, she was... She was safe on dad's shoulders. Oh, there's a whole sermon. Um, but that's not in the, that was free today. Um, but yeah, it's a fascinating tour. If you want to do the tour, you should go there and do that tour. Um, but I want to connect everything today that I have to say um, from God's Word to the image of the Hoover Dam and streams in the desert. I mean, the Hoover Dam, if you don't know it, is built in a desert. And uh, I think it's an amazing engineering marvel. And I mean, I, I did the tour and I like to read about it and it's amazing. And I got this picture here. This picture blows my mind. This is from the lakeside, right? And you got the circle of those giant dump trucks down there. And you say, okay, that's an amazing engineering masterpiece. It's a marvel built. They started it the year my dad was born. He'll turn 90 in a couple of weeks, you know, and we kind of get this idea in our heads that, you know, we're so amazingly technologically superior. Um, and yet these guys, they built a mega dam and, uh, and it's, it's truly remarkable. Um, I mean, I have probably the best water skiing ever was on Lake Mead. I was blown away by it and you could just drop down under the water, open your eyes and see it was the clearest lake I've ever been in. I have canoed from the bottom of the dam down the Colorado. Took a two-night, I mean, a one-night overnight, two-day, two days, one night. Uh, youth group went canoeing down the river. It's amazing. It's 110 degrees outside, but the water's 50. And you're just like, <laughs> you know, it was, it was fabulous, um, you know, because... Out of that dam flowed rivers of cool living water, and it was awesome. Um, we learned about expensive dehydration, right? Yeah, yeah. You don't realize in Las Vegas that you're sweating and that you're dehydrating. And when you're pregnant and don't drink enough water, you wind up in the hospital for very expensive drinks of water. <laughs> and uh, we, we had that. There's no flies in Las Vegas. That's a wonderful thing. Only roaches. They're everywhere. Roaches live everywhere. I mean, you've watched Wally, right? That's because roaches live everywhere. Um, but when you spend time in the desert, you become very aware of water sources and how important water is. And I want you to know, guys, as followers of Christ, we've been given powerful opportunities to be streams in a dark, lifeless world, Amen. right? Um, which honestly is a really a beautiful picture of the priesthood of believer. 
That's a word that we talk about, oh, the priesthood of believers, you know, wear fancy clothes, I don't know. But we'll talk more about the priesthood of believers in a minute. Um, but it turns out that Isaiah 43, 19, ladies, is apparently your theme verse for your retreat coming up this weekend. And I was like, well, fabulous, because I had no idea when the Lord kind of laid that one on my heart. It really wasn't part of my, my sermon a few weeks ago, um, but now it is. And, uh, and so I just want to look at that again. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs forth to you not perceive it. I will make a way in the wilderness rivers in the desert wild beasts will honor me the jackals and the ostriches for i give water to the wilderness rivers in the desert to give drink to my chosen people the people whom i formed for myself and ryan that they may declare my praise <laughs> yeah everything's falling apart back here yeah i know i'm thankful for the wind yeah i know just poof. Knock things off right now. Let's see if I can knock Ryan off. Um, but this is a uh, it's a packed verse. It's a packed it's a packed passage. Um, and I think you know there's there's some questions in your life. He says, "Do you not perceive it?" Um, it's possible, folks, to miss what God's doing if you're not paying attention. We have to be paying attention. We need to be alert. And sometimes when we're getting in the desert and we're all, you know, um, thirsty in the wilderness, um, we forget that God is at work. Um, and as I was reading this again, I was reminded of, um, you know, I'm like, okay, so Lord, what is, what is this scripture about? Uh, the whole chapter of Isaiah 43 is about the salvation that God is bringing. And then I, was, I recall John the Baptist, who was a voice of one crying in the wilderness. wilderness. Make way, the way of the Lord, make straight his paths. And uh, when you declare the coming of Christ, you're joining John in the wilderness and expecting to see life spring forth in a wilderness. You know, John the Baptist, I think, you know, when he's out there declaring the coming of the Lord in the wilderness, I'm sure he's thinking of Isaiah 43. And he's like, here it comes, here it comes. And finally, Jesus showed up and he said, there he is. Behold, the stream in the desert right there. And John the Baptist, I'm sure, was super excited. And the question is, as you live in a wilderness, because we all have wilderness times, is are you asking God to do something in your wilderness? And where are you turning for a drink? You wonder? I wonder, because I think water in the wilderness refers to God's Word and the Spirit because we need them both. The Word of God, empowered by the Spirit of God, in a chosen people who were declared to give the praise of God. I mean, there's your Isaiah 43 right there. But, you know, at each end of the Grand Canyon, there's two lakes. You have Lake Mead and Lake Powell. They're massive lakes. I mean, Lake Mead, people, is... Um, 15 times larger than Lake Travis, just for a little perspective, or at least when it was full. I mean, because right now, it's desperately low. Um, the, the water volume, this is, I get really geeked out with stuff like this, and, and I'm like, I've had to erase and erase and erase and erase, because I could like, we could talk about this all day. Um, but there is the Word of God, which is even more important. Um, 
But the volume of those two lakes is the equivalent of taking the state of Utah and covering it in a foot of water. And all of that is held by those two reservoirs behind two dams. Truly remarkable to me. Um, you know, Lake Mead, the largest reservoir in North America, it provides water to California, Nevada, Arizona, and parts of Mexico. Okay, I would imagine um, most of us have probably eaten crops grown in places irrigated by the Colorado River down in California. You know, pretty cool. Um, but that reservoir has allowed life to spring up where there was no life. The problem is that the lake, if you've been paying attention to the news, now it's finally on the news sometimes, is that the lake is like, both of them are super low. And, uh, and I, I made Mark sick one day, accidentally sent him a picture, and uh, he freaked out. So I promised not to put that picture up. Uh, there's barrels people have discovered at the bottom of the lake with people in them. But, poor Mark. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, this is, this is amazing to me because, you know, here we have, the, you see the progression here as the lake has continued to go down. Stuff has been revealed. And, uh, you know, we started out with, oh, look at this cool boat sticking out of the water. Let's swim over to it. And then it's like, oh, hey, we can just kind of walk over. To, oh, hey, there's grass growing. Because the lake has continued to drop and drop and drop. Um, to an alarming, an alarming level. Thank you. Um, right now, just for fun, uh, to fill up Lake Mead and Lake Powell. Yeah, again, want to look at that real quick. I mean, this was a, over a year ago. It had dropped. You know, that was eighty-three. Hey, that's beautiful. This is amazing. And boom, now it's it's worse. Um, but I couldn't find one that was like super current like that. Um, but it is it is really really bad. It would take forty million acre feet of water to get the two lakes back up to full. Which, just for perspective, <laughs> as I'm going to continue to geek out, is one foot of water over most of Oklahoma. Okay, if you want to fill it back up, we need 12 inches of water over the whole state of Oklahoma, which I just drove through a lot of it um, the other day. Um, it's, a, it's a beautiful place to drive through. <laughs> anyway, uh, we grew up there, and we just drive through now. It's <laughs> welcome back to Austin, right? Okay, but anyway. The question is, is, is what is this to us, honestly? Um, for everybody downstream, it's a really big deal. Yeah. You know? And they're talking about the lake getting to uh, um, Deadpool, which means no more water will come out of, the, out of the dam, which means no electricity is generated in the generators. And uh, they're concerned that we're, they're getting close to that. You know, how much of our food comes from growers downstream? Got to wonder. Um, 
you know, I imagine that all of us have benefited. I know at least a few of us in here have because, I mean, Crystal and I, we drank water out of Lake Mead. That's where we got our water. We got electricity out of there, you know. So we've benefited from a dam built 90 years ago and a reservoir that's been holding water for all that time. Um, Ten years ago, a few people were talking about it, but they are now. But 10 years ago, there was a few smart people that said, hey, you know, we're really heading for trouble here. You know, but isn't that kind of how we operate, generally speaking? As long as it's not affecting me right now, I'm really good with that. And, and spiritually, guys, this is really, I think, super critical. Uh, because you know what happens in the church is when a preacher stands up and starts calling out cultural problems... They're like, oh, 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 slippery slope. Ah, there you go again. <laughs> With all that stuff, nonsense, nonsense, we're fine. Until we're not. Yeah, right? And, uh, and so I think it's really important for us to consider um, this metaphor and identify a, a much larger problem. Um, the other day I was reading in 1 Samuel 3, and it says this. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. And if you know anything about Eli, you know that his two sons, Hophni and Dufus, um, um, were ridiculous. Ultimately, God killed them. He was like, I'm sick. I'm sick of these guys. You know, these were the sons of the prophet, mind you. Okay, so here's Samuel ministering in the Lord, ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision, and we know what the Scripture says when there is no vision. The people cast off restraint, or they perish. And my question is, would you consider that the word of the Lord being rare as an infinite disaster, greater in impact than the drying up of Lake Mead? I mean, seriously, folks. I mean, it's not something I think we woke up today going, oh, I wonder if there's a drought of God's Word. Um, but I think that there is a drought of God's Word. And the more time you spend in God's Word, the more you will understand just how big the drought is. And so, look at this. Uh, every two years, there's an org out in Arizona. Um, Arizona Christian does a, they do a survey of the state of theology uh, in America. And so they survey what's happening, and here's what they found, 53% of U.S. adults believe the Bible, like all sacred writings, contains helpful accounts of ancient myths, but is not literally true. Okay, well, I'm like, okay, that's fine. You know, most of those people aren't probably born again. They're not believers anyway. But uh, in the survey, they also surveyed evangelicals, who are people that say Jesus is the only way to salvation, the Bible is God's word, and a few other important things. Hell is real, heaven is real, things like that. Okay, um, of those people who identified as evangelical, 26% believe the Bible is not literally true. That's like one in four of you people in here, right? 25%. Think about that for a second. That's terrible. Um, it's no wonder then that Christians have ceased to have influence or spread the gospel in America. Because why would you spread the gospel if you're not even sure it's true? And then I was like, okay, 26%. I mean, that's a lot of people, right? 
And what was what what kind of impact? You know, you've you've read things perhaps, you know, about how, you know, it only takes a certain a small amount of people to influence a larger culture, right? You know, 10% or even less can can turn the direction of a nation and a culture. And I was like, yeah, that is so true. And I went to look in and I found this. Um, there's a guy named Gary Gates of the Williams Institute at UCLA School of Law. He's a demographer. And he said that only 3.8% of the U.S. population falls into the category of LGBTQ. And yet if you look at our culture, they have had a huge impact on the direction and swayed. And we accept things today that 20 years ago would have been unthinkable, 3.8%. And so if 3.8% can impact a culture like this, what happens when 26% of us don't believe that the Bible is literally true? I'll show you what happens. 38% of the evangelicals agree that religious belief is a matter of personal opinion, but not objective truth. 43% agree that Jesus was a great teacher, but was not God. 56% of evangelicals believe, it's not us, of course, um, believe that God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. And if you're not aware, that basically totally negates the gospel, which totally means Jesus um, died for no reason and rose again for no reason, because after all, at the end, it doesn't matter, right? So if that's the case, um, we're wasting our time, people. Um, Amos 8 says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea, and from the north to the east. They shall run to and fro, seek the word of the Lord, and shall not find it. Wow. A drought of God's word is infinitely greater than the drought in the southwestern United States. When we have a drought, we lose our way as individuals and as a culture. We live in a dark world, and we need the truth of the Scripture that says your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. When there is a drought of God's word, everybody who is downstream from us suffers. So you take that as a collective church, but also as an individual. If there's a drought of God's word in your life, ladies and gentlemen, do you have a Bible that shows you've been reading it? Do you have one? No, Mark doesn't because he won't mark up his Bibles. Okay, fine. Um, me, I mark up this Bible because it's got margins. See, it's got margins so you can write in them. And so I write stuff, and, you know, I come back 12 years later. I'm like, oh, look what I wrote. And oh, look at that prayer. Oh, look how God answered that prayer. So it comes in really handy, Mark. Um, <laughs> so you should try it sometime. But... When there's a drought of God's word, everybody who's downstream suffers. Everybody suffers. 
Because as soon as you shut down Hoover Dam and it stops flowing water, everybody will know it. And uh, that'll cease to be, uh, you know, all of a sudden, um, yeah, it'll be a mess. But so, how's this metaphor working out? I'll tell you, your heart, guys, is a reservoir for God's Word. It was designed to be a reservoir. And David says, enlarge my heart. He says, enlarge my heart to fear your name. Enlarge my heart. And the more your heart is enlarged and the more you pour into it, the Word of God, the larger your heart becomes and the greater the capacity for the Spirit of God to move downstream from your life is. God takes His Word and He sends it out to give life to the people. I wonder if the people that were building the Hoover Dam in the 30s, if they knew any of us, no, no, <laughs> you know, and I doubt that any of you know anybody that worked on the dam, right? But here we are 90 years later, still benefiting from their work on the reservoir. And you guys, the work you do to fill your reservoir has impact for generations, Amen. Not just today, not just in your current circumstance, not when you're struggling in a wilderness moment, but people downstream that you may never, ever meet will experience the life that you put here in your heart. Guys and gals, it's more than just coming to church and hearing some weirdo stand up here with a weird accent and preach. You thought I was talking about me. No. <laughs> Do I have a weird accent? Okay. Yeah. For weirdos. But um, God's word doesn't return empty. It doesn't. When the lakes are low, all of a sudden people are watching the weather channel. Is it going to rain? Is it going to rain? What are we going to do? You know? But uh, when the. I, I just pray that we would seek. God's word with equal fervor. I got an email from Voice of the Martyrs this past week that blew me away. Let me read a section of it. Um, Voice of the Martyrs is helping, is working to help thousands of Christians who are fleeing attack in northern Mozambique. They provide food, blankets, and other essential items to survivors who have lost everything. Many Christians are in turn sharing this aid with Muslim friends who have also been displaced. The frontline workers said the most treasured items, ready for this? The most treasured items are audio Bibles. These are people who don't have food. After being driven from their homes, even displaced Muslims are eager to hear God's message of love and grace in their own language. After being driven from their homes, sometimes I think because we're so flippin' comfortable here in Lakeway, that we're really not concerned about if we have the Word of God. Because we can go home and, and we can, you know, shut the garage door and sit down on our couch and flip on the TV and surf the channels and watch football. Or watch the Astros. Cricket. <laughs> Nobody in here would say that except a weirdo. But, well, over there, fine. Um, it says, they were all asking for audio Bibles. A frontline worker said, these people have nothing. 
It was as if they didn't even care about food at all. They wanted audio Bibles. The persecuted believe Isaiah 55, which says, As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty. It shall accomplish that for which I purposed, and it shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. So let me circle back to this concept of the priesthood of believer. Uh, It's a doctrine that I think is kind of underappreciated because it just sounds weird. Right? I mean, it's one thing to say, I believe in the doctrine of the authority of Scripture. But the priesthood of the believer, you know, who are priests and who is this hood? I don't know. Um, But anyway, I think it's a really underappreciated doctrine. um, But it is our calling. As believers, we are called to be priests to the people downstream from us. Okay? Uh, As priests... We're going to see streams in the desert. It's going to be because God is at work and we're strong. We're storing God's word in our lives. So look at, you know, the Old Testament priests. You know what they did, right? They heard from God. They shared it with the people, right? And they offered sacrifice. I mean, that was basically their job. Hear from God, tell this to the people, offer sacrifice and worship. Okay? So listen to this. First Peter 2. You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood. You people sitting here in front of me, even weird people. A holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You once were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And then Hebrews 13 says, Through him let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of the lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. The expected outflow, outcome, duty of a priest is outflow. That's why you're here. You are here to be flowing out downstream the word of god the praise of god and watch a culture be changed living out the priesthood it's radical people it's radical people will think you're a weirdo right they will they will think you're a little bit not quite right you know and they're like oh well bless their heart they're nice and eh, we love them you know but stay away from them you know but if you're living out the priesthood, I mean, you'll be somebody that hears from God. Amen. And people will say, well, that's weird. You will speak God's word. You will be set apart Amen. and ridiculed. And worship will be your consuming passion. That's what it will be. If you're living in your priesthood, folks, that's how you're going to live. Amen. That's what it's going to be. Band, I'm about ready for y'all. So make your way forward. Um, but guys, this is Jesus' call for us today. Listen to John 7. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. 
Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit. Those who believed, those who believed in him were to receive. I don't know where your wilderness is, folks. I don't know where you need to start believing that Jesus can bring life to a lifeless place. But out of your heart will flow rivers of living water as you store up His Word in it. Because the Spirit always takes the Word of God to create the power of God, to show the power of God to the people around us. It's just how it is. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness, rivers in the desert. The wild beasts will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches. For I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. Guys, the Hoover Dam is really cool, but it's nothing compared to to a heart filled with the Word of God. And what fills your heart is what spills from your lips. So you have to ask yourself, does the Word of God ever spill from my lips accidentally? It won't if it hasn't filled it. So, guys, I challenge you to make the Word of God part of your life. You know, Psalms 1 says, um, Blessed is the man who doesn't walk, sit, stand with all these crazy people. Okay, that's my version. It says, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He meditates on it. That's very different from, Well, yeah, I took 30 seconds and read the Bible this morning. I'm good. That's not meditating, people. You meditate on stuff. I'm always blown away by people who love the Lord. They say they love the Lord, and they can tell me sports stat after sports stat after sports stat, but they don't know the Word of God. There's a disconnect there. But hey, their fantasy football team is doing real good. Um, we have to treasure God's Word and ask God's Spirit to illuminate it. It's accessible to us. None of you are waiting in a line for workers to hand you an audio Bible. You can go home and pick it up. Or it's on your phone. Every one of us have access to it. And we need to access it. Do you want it more than food? Is it more precious to you than silver or gold? Who is downstream from you? Your kids are. Your grandkids are, your co-workers are, your neighbors are. There's a lot of people downstream from you. And they need us to be filled with the Spirit of God and the Word of God. Because they need you, the priesthood of believers, to say, yeah, we believe this is true. And ask the Spirit of God to flow in power from us to change a culture that's desperately in need of a Savior. So, if you don't know how to read the Bible, I'm going to tell you how to do it. You ready for this? It's really tricky. You open it up to the first page, and you read it. 
And then you do that again and read it some more. And you just keep doing that. And when you read something that you don't understand, say, hmm, I don't understand that. I wonder if somebody else does. And you ask somebody else, I don't understand that. What does that mean? Or you get really novel and say, well, this is the Word of God, and the Spirit of God wants to empower it. What if I sit here with it on my lap and ask the Spirit to reveal truth to me? Because He will. He does it for me. I sit in the dark with a pillow on my lap so that the Bible's a little closer so I can see it. And uh, sometimes I read stuff, and I'm like, hmm, I don't understand that. And so I'll just stop and say, Lord, this is your word. What does it mean? And I'll sit there and wait. Do you sit and wait for God to speak to you? Because if you're not waiting on him to speak to you, you're probably not meditating on God's word and you're probably not putting it in your heart. It's just passing through your gray matter a little bit. It's one thing to, you know, you know, spray a little water here and there. It's another thing to get a power washer and clean things out. And I'm telling you, God will do that. So you don't understand what you read. Well, read it again. And just keep reading it and reading it and watch God do amazing things in your life. Guys, please, I'm just saying, you need the Word of God as much as I need the Word of God. And uh, we all have wilderness places that the Spirit of God will take and bring life and cause new things to sprout in the middle of a desert. Super amazing. I think this calls for us to worship. So I'll encourage you to stand to your feet and for us just to take a moment just to thank the Lord and worship.